I'm Henry Standage, and you're listening to the Western Science Speaks podcast. I'm coming to you from Western's Advanced Center for Avian Research, a bird research facility that is regarded as top tier on a global scale. Our guest today, graduate student Jeff Martin, was gracious enough to take me on a tour of the building. The facility is brimming with state-of-the-art technology, including a massive wind tunnel that can be used to simulate a bird's reaction to almost any geographical scenario. Right now, birds being able to adapt and survive is a problem. Canada's breeding bird population has gone down by 12% since 1970, and over 44% of species have decreased in population. Today, Jeff joins me on the podcast to talk about his research centering on bird survival, reproduction, and adaption. In the first half of the show, we'll be discussing cognitive decision-making and memory in birds. In the second half, we'll be looking at how temperature affects reproduction in birds. I started my interview with Jeff by asking, if you took a bird from a northern latitude and a bird from a southern latitude and placed a semi-obstructed piece of food near them, which bird would succeed and why? So both birds are probably going to succeed. Um, the real interesting part is how fast that they're going to do it. Um, and so birds from northern latitudes are more likely to do this quicker, to obtain that food piece faster. Um, and the reason is because they live in cold, snowy, very demanding environments. And so they become better at opportunistically taking advantage of hard to get at food resources. Um, both the birds are going to be able to do this. It shouldn't be a problem for either of them, but the northern birds are going to be much, much better at it um, and therefore retrieve that food faster. Jeff was able to recreate the setting using the resources available to him at the Advanced Center for Avian Research. First thing that we're, we're looking at doing is trying to recreate this semi-obstructed food paradigm in the lab. Um, and so how I did that was I put a food piece essentially in a small well, in a small hole, um, and then covered it with a clear plastic lid. Um, and so what this does is it means that when you let the bird search for food, the bird can see the food, it can smell the food, but it can't get at that food without removing that lid in some way. And then so by looking at how fast and how the birds remove that lid, we can study um, the ability of them to obtain these sort of semi-obstructed food objects. Birds from a northern latitude are inheriting genes that allow them to live and survive in harsh climates. Jeff's interested in measuring the plasticity of these birds, that is, their ability to react to what's around them. So far, we've really talked about birds from different latitudes, um, from northern and southern latitudes, and we know from previous research that there's definite differences between those populations. Northern birds are better than southern birds at this opportunistic feeding behavior. Um, but that difference is likely because of genes, that sort of inherited genes that you, you mentioned in your question. Um, and so what I wanted to look at was plasticity, um, and that is how things respond to their environment, essentially. Um, and so birds from the same population should have similar genes. And so any of these effects of inheriting the better genes should be wiped out by using birds from the same population. Um, and then what we wanted to look at, or what I wanted to look at, was how external cues like temperature, like altitude, 
um, affect the same sort of behavior paradigm. So are birds that are experiencing warmer conditions or colder conditions better at this semi-obstructed food paradigm? Um, and so I specifically looked at temperature um, in, in my work. And I asked birds to solve the exact same food paradigm problem, this semi-obstructed food item under that clear lid. Um, but some of them were housed in warm conditions through the winter and some of them were housed in cold conditions through the winter. Um, and I was looking to see if temperature was a primary driver of this difference in response. If it's one of the reasons that the north birds are so much better is because it's just colder up there and that cold weather is driving this behavior response. So now we know how large-scale geographical location differences, such as latitude, can affect bird behavior. But what about a small-scale difference, such as birds that share the same mountain but differ in altitude? So this gets back at that sort of one population question, and that's really cool. Um, and it, it turns out that high-altitude birds are better at these tasks than low-altitude birds. Um, and this could be for a variety of reasons. Um, it's interesting. It could be because of the altitude. Um, there's altitudinal differences. Um, it could be because of the unpredictability of the environment. So at low altitudes, we quite often see very stable environments. We get consistent amounts of snow from year to year, very consistent temperatures from year to year. Um, and at high altitudes, we get things that go all over the place. So we get lots and lots of snow early in the season one year and then less snow the next year. And this unpredictability can also drive this need for um, the, the birds to be opportunistic feeders, to take advantage of, of any food item that's around. And so we see high altitude birds are being much better at it than low altitude birds. One of the tasks that Jeff studied was how effective birds were at stashing and then returning to find the stored food. The one variable he manipulated was temperature. All other variables like light, wind, and altitude were constant. It was kind of interesting. Um, it looks like temperature wasn't the main driver. I mean, that's cool because we still see these differences in populations. And so if they're not due to temperature, they have to be due to something. It suggests that genetics are probably the main driver. Um, and that some combination of genes and what genes the individual has and their environment are really important. And so how the genes and the environment are interacting um, are really important in producing these very important opportunistic feeding behaviors. And so it looks like if you have the wrong genes and you're put into a situation where you need those genes, your natural sort of plasticity or ability to react to your surroundings is not going to be enough um, to really help you out. Previous literature in Jeff's field says that light affects reproductive behavior. His research was predicated on finding out if temperature was also a factor. It's important for Jeff to know, if a bird is warm but it's dark outside, will it still go back to the same breeding ground? Yeah, so in general, and this is true of, of migratory birds, so birds that leave for the winter, and then resident birds, birds that stay all winter, um, their annual cycle, the, the behaviors that they go through, sort of their hormones and stuff, are all controlled by photoperiod. Um, and photoperiod is just simply the number of daylight hours available. So in the summer, when the days are long, we would say they have a long photoperiod. Um, in the winter, when days are shorter, we would say they had a short photoperiod. Um, and it's been long sort of understood and acknowledged that photoperiod is the driver of reproduction. The birds are breed in the spring, and they know it's spring because the days are starting to get longer. They're having more daylight hours. Um, and 
What I wanted to look at was, as well as this photo period, is temperature a factor? Are birds using temperature to tell them, hey, it's spring, I'd better get ready to breed, I'd better get ready to, to mate and have offspring. Um, and so what we found, um, really interestingly, was that the birds were using temperature as this cue. Um, and so it looks like photo period is definitely important, but temperature is also probably modulating their reproductive timing, um, maybe on a smaller scale. So they probably know, hey, it's spring, it's time to get ready to breed because the days are getting longer. But maybe, you know, five or six, seven or eight days in either direction, um, they're like, it's pretty warm, maybe it's time to go now. And so it looks like some combination of those two is really important. Nature's always been unpredictable, but this is especially true in 2018. So it's important to look at combinations of these variables. For example, if it's dark outside but the temperature is warm, or if it's bright outside and the temperature is cold. How is that going to have an impact on whether or not a bird returns to its breeding ground? In general, the answer is, is we don't currently know. Um, we've got a, a lot of really cool information and, and some of what I was doing was building into this where I let the birds endure a warm winter. So it was winter, it was very much winter, but it was warmer than their counterparts. Um, and those birds were in, in a more developed reproductive condition than their counterparts. And so this suggests that um, as the temperature warms and, and the climate warms and, and winters get warmer and less harsh and less hard to deal with, the birds will be in reproductive condition earlier. And one of the really interesting things that we found um, was that the males were in earlier reproductive condition than the females were. And so this creates a possible mismatch where the males are ready to breed, ready to go, and the females aren't ready yet. Um, and, and so this is a field that really needs more research and, and something that, that I'm going to continue looking into. Um, and other researchers are also doing similar work. Um, but it's something that we need to continue looking at, really. So the idea that males might actually have more plasticity than females when it comes to temperature? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, I, the results that I have are, are relatively preliminary. But yeah, it suggests that males maybe are using temperature as more of a cue than females are, and females are relying more on this photo period, which we know isn't changing. Yeah. Um, and so as the temperature changes back and forth, um, it looks like it maybe affects males more than it affects females, and this can create what we call a timing mismatch. Um, and timing mismatches are important because if both the sexes aren't ready to breed at the same time, they can't breed, mm. right? Males can't breed without females, females can't breed without males. And so if the males are ready to go early and the females aren't ready, we create this timing mismatch where males are using up a lot of energy to be in breeding condition and the females aren't ready. And so that becomes wasted energy. The start of spring, when most birds begin their breeding season, is moving up every year. So it's imperative that birds adapt to this and start to breed earlier every season. As the climate warms, the start of spring, or what we call spring green-up, um, which is the time in the spring when everything blooms, the forests sort of go from this brown winter look to the, the spring look that you see in pictures and stuff, um, also corresponds to the time that arthropods, insects, caterpillars, etc., um, are emerging. And those are a major food source for most of our birds. Um, and so birds time their breeding cycles 
so that when they have chicks to feed, there's lots of food around these arthropods and these insects. Um, and so as the climate warms, this spring green up, the start of spring is moving earlier and earlier and earlier, and likely birds should be moving earlier and earlier to, to match with that. Um, but like I mentioned before, birds' annual cycles are um, controlled by photoperiod, and photoperiod isn't changing. Um, so spring green up is largely controlled by temperature. Photoperiod largely controls birds' breeding cycles, and so those two things are in conflict. Um, and there's a lot of really good research on this. I mean, some of the, what I what I did suggests that chickadees, specifically resident birds, may be pretty good at using this, at, at using temperature to move breeding timing forward to correspond with that spring green up. But that's not necessarily true of all birds. Resident birds and migrant birds have their own approaches and varying levels of success to how they adapt to the climate. What I showed is that resident birds, black-capped chickadees, which is what I studied, um, are using temperature to at least adjust breeding timing a little bit. Um, and this might help them correspond better than other birds. And so what's really interesting here is that photoperiod tells the chickadees um, it's springtime, it's time to get ready to breed, and then temperature tells them okay, we got to breed now so that we have lots of food. Um, whereas migrant birds don't necessarily have that advantage because they're not on site, right? So chickadees are overwintering in London, Ontario, and then they're breeding in London, Ontario, and they're feeding their chicks in London, Ontario. And so the temperature in London, Ontario is very important for the temperature in London, Ontario. It's one and the same. Migrant birds, on the other hand, are birds that have left, right? So um, black-throated blue warblers, for example, are a bird that breed up here um, in sort of this area, the southern Ontario region, but they overwinter down in the tropics in Cuba and Jamaica. And so they're down there, and photoperiod is telling them, all right, it's springtime, it's time to get ready to fly back north to breed. But they don't have those extra temperature cues to tell them, okay, we got to breed now. So if they get here at a normal time, their normal time in, in, in May, for example, and the spring greenup has already happened or is happening really soon, they're likely going to miss it. And so it is very possible that if resident birds are using temperature to modulate this breeding timing, um, that they're going to be less affected by this changing climate than migrant birds are. And that migrant birds are going to start potentially missing spring greenup which will cause huge problems in terms of provisioning their offspring or feeding their chicks adequately enough for these chicks to grow. As our discussion came to a close, Jeff spoke candidly about what he believes humans could and should do to help bird survival moving forward. I think it's important that we look at the effects that the climate is having on individuals and organisms and, and taxonomic groups other than humans. And so one of the most important things that we do, and, and I, I don't mean to, to look at this in any other way, um, but one of the most important things we do is we look at the effects of climate and how it's affecting human populations. Um, but sometimes what goes sort of under the radar is how it's affecting other things. And so a lot of my work is sort of centered on how climate is affecting birds. Um, and so specifically, I look at the black-capped chickadee, which is a resident bird species. 
Um, and so what's really important, I think, is to look at how the climate and how our changing climate is affecting um, bird research. And, and some of the arguments can be made that a warmer climate would make life easier for these birds. Um, but really, like most things, it's very much a case-by-case -case basis. So there are absolutely some bird species that the warming climate will help. But there are probably an equal number of them that the warming climate will be a detriment to. So there are birds like the gray jay that rely on cold weather um, for their winter food supplies. There are birds um, that breed in the Arctic on the sea ice. And if that sea ice goes away, their breeding grounds are greatly diminished. Um, and so looking at how the climate affects birds in general, but animals in general and plants in general, um, is also, I think, really, really important and something that we should, we should focus on as a research community. Spring greenup is moving forward way too fast. Evolution is a slow and unguided process, really. Um, and we're, we're asking the birds and, and our other animal populations to cope with changes that they're not equipped to handle. They can't, they can't do that. In this podcast, we've learned that temperature, latitude, altitude, and gender all have their own effects on bird survival, reproduction, and adaption. But the research on these things is far from the finish line. There are still many unknowns. Here's one thing we do know, though. The birds can't keep up with the changes we're forcing them to make as a product of our impact on the environment. You heard it from the mouth of an expert today. Birds can and will find a way to adapt if we give them time. But we're asking far too much. Although things for the most part haven't changed too much on ground zero, we have to remember that not all mammals spend the majority of their time on land. And the atmosphere that we're polluting is home to species that we have a responsibility to protect and care for. I'm Henry Standage signing off. Thanks for listening.